<laughs> I, I'm sorry, I did not. Oh, I, what are you? What are you so busy with? Oh, wait, we should start the podcast. Let's start the podcast. Right now, I'm trying to figure out what episode this is. Welcome to TGE, the podcast. We're on episode 38. We're going to be talking about a movie that is so high on the list of movies that I can watch over and over again. It's ridiculous. It's Office Space. I'm here with Tyler. Tyler, how are you? Hey, Sven. Good. How are you doing? Thank you to everyone for listening. We appreciate the growing listens. We appreciate you spreading the word about the podcast. We appreciate you subscribing to the podcast on whatever you're listening to us on, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. And we apologize now for the sounds of what is clearly going to be construction sounds and maybe roosters. Yes, I have my window open. (laughs) So if a chicken will lay an egg in the next 30 minutes, we'll know about it. So Sven... (laughs) <laughs> we hear you grilling it up. Yeah. Did uh, do you cook eggs on a grill? Um, <laughs> no, did you? Never. What kind of reaction did we get to last week's battle of Winterfell? Because it was kind of an interesting thing. I got a few notes from people saying, "What? Who gives a shit if you do spoiler?" Like we made a huge effort not to do any spoilers through that episode, right? And I just got a lot of notes that were like, "Who gives a shit if there's spoilers? Everyone does spoilers on that. That's the whole thing." And, you know, I kind of felt like we were a little negative towards it, but diplomatically so. But then, of course, throughout the week, the online blowback on that episode was pretty pretty intense. Oh, I didn't even hear. So people really, it has has a blowback? Like, is it going towards a negative? Oh, yeah. Like, the DP had to issue a statement about the The darkness (laughs) about the darkness yeah a lot of stuff oh yeah i did see a post um on instagram where somebody said oh by the way if you're seeing the episode make sure you're seeing it through hbo directly through their app don't see it through amazon or any other um sub vendor i guess because they don't know how to handle the compression and there was actually an interview with a military strategist Mm-hmm. that pointed like a lot of things we were joking about uh, casually pointed out huge flaws in their strategy if there even was a strategy yeah, not to use the dragons there, so. <laughs> yeah there's just a lot of it was just you know a lot of issues with the non nonsense of it but you know i did you watch last night's episode no i'm i'm back out so <laughs> unless we're making another episode on it i'm i'm not going to uh, we'll see. Well, we'll let the episode come to us rather than us go to it, which is what we did last time. And it was a tough spot to be in. Nice. So, Tyler, ask hmm. me how my week was. Hey, Sven, how was your week? Oh, thanks for asking, Tyler. I probably skipped a whole night of sleep because I just launched the Go-To Editor course. And now wow. we're going to be talking about the next five minutes or so about this because that's what we'll do. It's kind of a plug on this podcast. And yeah, that was quite a quite a journey. Like I was editing until I think 4 a.m. on Friday night to get the episode actually up on YouTube to introduce this course. And Wait, Sven, I have a question. Yes. What is the course? Oh, well, since you ask, it's a course that is you can learn online editing and it has really two two points that I want to make in it. One is storytelling. And yes, everybody now knows that storytelling is important, but I still feel like editors do not use that storytelling muscle by far as much as they should. 
and that makes them replaceable in a way because you need to be a strong storyteller so that the producer knows, oh, I'm hiring this guy not just to run a piece of software. I'm hiring this guy because he's going to make my movie happen. It's going to make the difference. And that's what right. makes you valuable. That makes you a go-to editor. And the other portion really has to do with business, career, branding. Like, how do you present yourself in the marketplace that jobs find you? And, I mean, it's, it's something like it's not resumes. It's not reels that get you jobs. It's really mm -hmm. those relationships you have with the clients that are become fans of your work and then years later call you up and say hey remember back then you saved my butt now do it again because i need you and that's <laughs> that's how you keep working so that's that's what the course is about so it's about having the goods to back it up but yeah. also becoming part of the collaboration exactly and i think what's cool about it is that you actually get to do exercises with real footage so we got a feature film that was in uh, in the L.A. Film Festival, has an Academy Award-winning actress in there. We got a documentary that was in theaters, released by uh, Magnolia Films. Actually, I didn't realize, but Elon Musk was the executive producer on the documentary Dumbstruck. <laughs> that you, you were working on? Yeah. Oh, wow. I did well, I, I, I saw did. the name back then, but it didn't mean anything. And now I like went back at it. I'm like, wait a minute. Is that the guy? And it's the guy. <laughs> Yeah, there could be a whole class on the fact that I got invited back to work with you after the work I did on that. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, how, like how amazing it is, because that was not my best. Huh. Which one, Dumbstruck? Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> Remember that trailer? I, <laughs> I yes. sent you the trailer and you yes. were like... You fucking piece of shit. What? I mean, you didn't say that, did, but I, that's how I, I felt. Oh, I didn't. Re <laughs> no, yeah, no, you didn't, didn't. You, didn't, you I should. I totally forgot about the, the fact that we also cut the trailer and yeah. had to do it like you within cut a the week trailer or something. Well, yeah. that's because I had like two weeks and just screwed it up <laughs> royally. Well, they should. It's, it's hard to cut trailers on projects you work on. So I. Well, you know what? It's going to be hard to talk about this also because if we were talking about this as an anonymous movie, I think it would be much better. So maybe we'll just do that in a few episodes. I'll just start talking about this trailer I worked on for you. Oh, okay. Knowing what movie it was. Yeah. But I usually get asked to cut the trailer once the feature is done. I usually say, can you find somebody else? Because I'm at that point, I'm like so emotionally dead about like what's what's what are the killer scenes that need to be in there that it's mm -hmm. a struggle to cut the trailer. Um, right. And also the thing with trailers on the bigger level is that it's it's very rare, I feel like, that the editor gets to work on the trailer. Maybe they have some input on it, but tra the trailer process begins so early in the filming process. Yeah. And those things just start being cranked out while you're deep in the edit that it's hard for the editor to be involved in, in a meaningful way. True. And it's funny because the last feature that I just finished, the trailer was out before I even had to cut like, the first act. And so I was like wow. seeing stuff where I'm like, yeah, I'm not, uh, it's actually not in the movie, um, but it's in the trailer. Well, not to get away from your class, but traditionally in trailer editing, often, and I, one, of, one of my best students is an assistant editor at a trailer house now, they are given the dailies so yeah. they can start oh, trying wow. to figure out what the film is so yeah. that they can then figure out what a good trailer might be. So 
Yeah, it's yeah, that's, crazy. That's what happened here as well. Um, wow. But also we have branded content as dailies in the course. And so it's those three genres that we use so that you have can be a different type of editor or you're versatile in, in stuff that you work on. There are a lot of editors who only cut one thing. And um, I've always wanted to be um, in different markets. Like I'm cutting documentaries, features. I did do a lot of television. I don't do it as much anymore because it requires me to commute, um, which mm -hmm. I don't like anymore. But um, it's good to, to also have some stuff like branded content or commercials on your reel so that whenever that, that client comes and needs that, you can just spend a week or two cut that and get an amazing rate because you make so much more money usually in commercials than when you do anything else, really. And you're yeah. in and out. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's amazing to be open to those things that may not be what you set out to do. You know, and the end yeah. game, of course, is always editing end game yeah. or like a Christopher Nolan movie <laughs> or whatever or one of the AFI top 10 movies that I can't name. Um, and in that process, though, you can become a much better editor by working on stuff that you may not be interested in watching. And yet it's amazing how working on something very artificial can make you better as an editor, oddly, where it might hurt you as an actor. Totally. Since we're still in infomercial mode, ask me where they can like check this out. Wait, wait, I'm in infomercial mode? I'm hey, in Sven, where... <laughs> Hey, what the what the heck, Sven? I want to see this thing. Where can I see it? Well, I would recommend you should first go to the YouTube channel, This Guy Edits, because I also posted a video, and it's actually my fastest growing video of the year, which is titled How to, um, I don't know what it's called, How oh, to Get wow. a Job as an Editor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. And it uh, already has, it's been two days, it has 11,000 views, and... It is, that's the thing I was cutting on Friday and it's like 22 minutes long. I'm like, I, I don't have, like, it's, it's going to be this long. I don't care. I'm doing it. And it really talks about or shows you how, what the three key factors are, why you get hired and rehired. And I reveal those and then you're going to be all impressed and then you're going to want to find out more about the course. So that would be my, my suggested path, but you can also go directly to, the course and that would be thisguyedits.com the go-to editor the go-to editor and check it out there. awesome cool and you were going to give me some grief for not having signed up yet yeah oh yeah i was i was going to say you haven't heard anything about this because you've been so busy and out of the loop <laughs> no i've seen the ads and you, we've been talking about it for like two years yeah. i was gonna wasn't i gonna edit it and shoot it at one point <laughs> yeah yeah I'm totally, and you advised on it too. So thank you for that. And I, I, I have to give credit also credit also to Vinny and Steve. Those are two guys that actually originally hailed from Nevada, from Reno, and oh, yeah. um, they actually ended up partnering up with me in there. They shot the whole thing. I was on camera. They were producing the whole thing. They were cutting it basically. I did final touches on it, but they did the bulk of the heavy lifting. So. Thank God that those two guys delivered and made it happen because it's been a journey. And also, I think it's very, they're one of the stories that you tell a lot 
the inspirational stories of people that did not start working in LA but took the plunge and, and went for it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the bigger story here is that they like they approached me and said, "Hey, can we help on the channel?" And then I gave them something small, like a little animation, and they just killed it. Like because they were both like working in an ad agency, they they are far superior when it comes to graphics, motion graphics, all that stuff than I could ever spend the time on. It would take me forever. And very cool. And then I'm like, okay, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And then they were able to cut a full episode. They started shooting stuff on their own and adding it. They brought so much ideas and creativity to it that it immediately became clear to me that these guys are exactly what this course wants to teach you, which is you are go-to editors or go-to filmmakers that just solve problems left and right for you. And make life so much easier and that's why you hire them and rehire them so we're working on the fourth project by now and i have a few people now that that do this like i have dennis in russia shout out i'm sure you're listening i have aaron and we're working on a new project with uh, vashi which um, some people might know i'm really excited about this because i interviewed vashi and he's amazing on camera uh, not on camera on mic all that stuff sorry and i'm blabbing should we also reminded me that uh, We've yeah. been torturing Ross in my not sending him voiceover. So Totally, Ross. I need to get on that. <laughs> I still need to give you a voiceover. I'm sorry it hasn't happened last week. I'm going to give it to you this week. Probably. <laughs> this is how we communicate with people now. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, what's happened to us? And also, Mom, I'm going to call you tomorrow. I got your voicemail. Uh, thank you for the socks. Fuck, you got your mom listening to this? <laughs> <laughs> Not just kidding. Um, Me too. All right. <laughs> so, Sven, yes. I think it's time yeah. that we talk about Office Space, but I actually want to share a story before I forget okay. that I, I got to interview a really amazing, I can't say who, but it was, you know, cause it, just because of the nature of, of the interview and the environment and stuff, but uh, uh, for hours, talked to a top level studio writer screenwriter, one of the best of the best, who has a great story about a screenplay, I'm not going to say the gender or anything, that they wrote where, fuck, once I say it's infamous, that kind of gives away who it is, but anyhow, there was a draft of the script that was particularly strong that the writer really liked, that they were given a ton of notes on, as always happens, that made them sick to their stomach, made them want to quit writing, made them want to quit the industry. And yet, like we talk about with editing, they ended up doing the notes. And it's a lot easier as an editor because you're kind of really just only dealing with what's been captured. Mm-hmm. With writing, it's way easier for someone to come in and be like, I think they should marry a kangaroo. You know, to, what, <laughs> to like, an, like whatever your dream project is. And just really kind of without even really reading it or paying attention to what they're reading and just feeling like giving a note. Yet, for some reason, not for some reason, just for maybe where they were in their career or whatever, stuck it out and actually did these awful, awful notes for a director that couldn't be more wrong for the project. And then when the proper director came around, they accidentally saw the really strong draft and that's the one they wanted to make. And the moral of the story was if this writer as often happens and is the case now for them had said, no, you know, you paid for the script, you bought it. Good luck with the notes you want to do. That's not the vision I have and just made their life easier stepping away from it, which happens all the time. They stuck it out and did those notes. They got to have this great relationship Mm -hmm. when that 
when the right person came along. So it's a weird, it was, I guess it was kind of reminded me of editing a lot of like finding that balance of, you know, it's, and I don't always agree with it in terms of writing. It is very different than editing. Sometimes you just can't do the notes. It's very, a very different process, but it was just a good story for editors. I felt of just doing the note because often gaining the trust through doing it with editing, you're going to end up working through whatever it is. And it turned right. out to a great success story. What? Steve Halfish really put it to the point. He said in the interview with me, bad ideas lead to good ideas. So never fight a bad idea, even if you already know it sucks. Don't mm -hmm. don't make it about explaining to the director why this is terrible. Go with it. Do the note and then let let the process happen where you then refine it. And that's when the amazing stuff happens. And once you yeah. once you realize this, you can you can take any no. You can like look at a studio executive and think this is the craziest thing. Smile and still do it, and be open minded and surprised what comes out of it. Yeah, it's tough. It's a little different though when that director is just a bag of hyenas, that's <laughs> you know like just not at all the right person for the thing. But but yes, you're absolutely right. When you have the job, you're being paid, especially for editing. Yeah. Just Just do it. Yeah, and you got to do it no matter what. I mean, working with a first-time director doesn't matter. You got to you gotta treat him like he is. <laughs> I can only think of one director and I would give the whole thing away. But I'm not going <laughs> to say the name. Um, and uh, you got to treat him like a star. And it still makes this process better, more, more easy to endure, and it creates a better product. And even better is that that the thing about editing is the last thing people start tearing about, tearing apart, except for a few recent examples when a movie doesn't work is the editing. There's so much more to sift through before they get to that. And it's always been it's always great to be attached to a great project, but oftentimes that really bad movie you did a lot to make it great, and no one you're not going to get the appreciation for it except for from the people that were there that, yeah. that you're working with. So those are, of course, the most important relationships. It's always to funny build, when you'll you learn about in Sven's video. Reviews and then they sort of, in a half sentence, praise the editing where you're like, yeah, this doesn't really apply or this is not really <laughs> saying what really, what the effort or what the, like, what's really behind making this movie work. It's always like, oh, this is a really really witty or this is cut in a very like tight way or something and usually it's it's way off hmm. well let's speaking of tight editing yes. tight writing yes. tight acting yes let's dive into mike judge's office space yes when was you the first time you saw the movie us? I saw it in theaters. Uh, I remember seeing it on Ooh, a the Continental 7 which was like a dome theater, like a giant anamorphic screen that I think it's now a church. Um, <laughs> it's probably a total but, overkill for this movie. Yeah, you think so, but there's something about seeing, and you know, it's, it's on film. Like even the comedies like this, it's amazing when they were truly produced and really done and all the production value really mattered, how that helps everything. Yeah. But you could potentially watch this movie through a post-it stamp and be highly entertained. Same for Apocalypse Now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would argue that's hard to endure on a post-it note. 
But I'm just saying the brilliance comes through, and likewise with this, seeing it with an audience is going to add a lot to the experience. Right, right. Well, I feel like Office Space is the movie that you can put on infinite loop and watch over and over again. <laughs> it's so fun and entertaining and light, like so easy to consume and just like escape. Um, that it's great. And i tell you how I first saw it. I saw it actually on the Titanic expedition, on the boat. And it was one of three DVDs that they had Hold available. on, Sven. Yes. You were on a boat searching for the Titanic. Because yes. otherwise that's going to sound like you're 100 years old. No, I've, I said Titanic expedition, right? So I know. Um, I yes, I wasn't on the Titanic. I didn't have a DVD player with me while I was on the Titanic in 1912. I'm guessing that happened. Um, but anyway, we were in the <laughs> middle of the North Atlantic, and it was the only movie, really, that I could watch over and over again. And it was actually so much fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> in my bunk. So compared to the worst tragedy in uh, <laughs> naval history, it's it's fun. Well, who said, let's take a minute of silence and then party till dawn? You don't remember that quote? Oh, that's a line from the movie? I didn't see it as much as you. I no, saw it, it, was the, it was in the Oscar acceptance speech from James Cameron when he got his Oscar. He asked for a minute of silence, and then everybody was quiet <laughs> in the room, the Kodak Theater, wherever it was back in the days, Dolby Theater. And then he screamed, let's party to dawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's party like hell and go through this clip. But also, just yes. the other thing that's great about this is that the trailer moments that came out of it were so legendary. And it was cool because it was a really small comedy in a sense. You know, Mike Judge, I guess, had clout from Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill where he could presumably get a budget and make a movie with largely unknown actors that, of course, are all you know talented and much better known now. Yeah. And the, the star of the movie was really just the comedy. And there's a lot of great moments in it. One of them being this one that I think is a good analysis of, since we're talking about trailers, moments that work really well in trailers become iconic just in that. And then to see how it's weaved into the scene and it sets up something even better leading to the end of it. Yeah. yeah. No, I love this scene. I think it's a classic. It uh, has an iconic phrase in there that I think we all now sometimes use. Case of the Mondays. Um, (laughs) let's set up the movie office space is a 1999 american comedy film written and directed by mike judge it satirizes the everyday work life of a typical mid to late 1990s software company focusing on a handful of individual fed up with their jobs stars ron livingston who i haven't seen in a movie since the end of the tour which was a great film I don't know. Have you seen him anywhere lately, recently? He's in a lot of stuff. But it's just not jumping to mind. Yeah, right Jennifer Aniston, Gary Cole, Stephen Root, David Herman, Ajay Nadu, and Dietrich Bader. Bader. And also, mm-hmm. I want to th- shout out Todd Duffy, who's uh, who's pl- plays the guy who works at, I don't know, that restaurant has all the flares. He was in a movie I directed in there, so... Mm-hmm. I was so thrilled when he walked into the casting office because I immediately recognized him from Office Space. And he probably got the part just because of that. Um, and we can say that Diedrich Bader, Gary Cole, and 
Stephen Root are taking over HBO Sunday nights now with Root being on Barry and then Cole and Bader being on Veep for the last couple episodes. That's right. Um, <laughs> let's look at some numbers. It was a box office disappointment, making $12.2 million against a $10 million production budget. That's surprising. I didn't, I didn't think it was that expensive. But after repeated airings on Comedy Central, it sold well in home video and has become a cult film. Hmm. So. Yeah, it's funny because that's, that's, yeah, I guess it wasn't terribly successful. You said it was a $12 million movie? $10 million movie made $12 million in theaters. Wow. And it had Aniston in it. So, yeah, I guess that was the thing is it was kind of a, a weird flop, I guess, but it was so iconic. And I didn't even realize Fight Club was a dud when it came out until recently. So, yeah. It's interesting how movies can have this cult iconography. It's, it just and doesn't not done feel like well. a ten million dollar movie to me. To be honest, it f- feels like a three to five with stars. I mean, I guess Jennifer Aniston. Maybe they had to pay her a lot. But maybe, but studio films are expensive to make, and the minimum budget's usually thirty million. I don't know that this was a studio one. Yeah, but like in terms but of the locations, also, it feels like really indie. Yeah, but you're still building all this, all these sets, and yeah. movies are expensive. And then marketing's at least thirty million, yeah, and I think that's probably where they screwed up on this movie. Or they should have just put, I don't know, Ben Affleck in it or something. <laughs> that would have been awful. But yeah, one little tidbit here: Swingline introduced the red stapler to its product line after the Milton character used one painted that color in the film. <laughs> Amazing. So, anybody that knows the film remembers the swing line stapler um all right so what do we usually do with these scenes tyler we usually watch the scene and give our thoughts on it as it plays and then dissect the editing of it and storytelling at the end and you can play along because we'll say three two click and the scene shall begin yes you'll find a link off the video that is available on YouTube in the description of this podcast. We'll play it through once. I think we want to let the dialogue speak for itself a little bit on this one because I think it's it's quite simple in terms of the coverage of the scene and it's all in the dialogue. And then we can, we can go back and talk a little bit about the editing and see if, it's, uh, if there's some magic there. Cool. All right. I'm lining it up. Sven will be describing. Okay, fine. Should I screen record this? I'll do it just in case. Three, <laughs> two, one, click. Hello, All right, Peter. we're looking What's at happening? Ron, uh, our main guy. He's in the cubicle. Here. He got late. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS boss reports. talks to him. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I... I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, back and forth forgot, cutting. But uh, it's At this point, not shipping out till tomorrow. Medium so shots. There's no problem. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And, uh... I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Okay? Yeah, no, I, I, I have the memo. I've got it. It's right. Hello, Phil. All right, the bus walks off. Ron is showing us the memo. 
So that scene's kind of over. That scene is over. But the sequence is not. No. Here we go. He's he's hearing Hi. the radio uh, from the next cube. Turn that down just a little bit. But I, I withdraw that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume from 9 to 11. Yeah, no, no, so I, funny I, I know you're allowed to. I was, uh, I was just thinking maybe like a, you know, personal favor. Well, I, 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 I told Bill that if, if Sandra's going to listen to her headphones while she's, while she's falling, then I should be able to listen to the radio while I'm collating. Uh-huh. So I don't see why okay. I should have to turn down the radio because yeah, all right, okay. I enjoy listening it's got to be a comic book Thanks. character too, right, Milton? Yeah, I really could never accept Hi, that he wasn't this guy until years and years and years later watching his stuff. Yeah. Okay, so here comes boss number you know, two. Uh, Bill talked to me about it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get that memo? Same yeah, kind of cutting back and forth. And I understand the policy, and the problem is just that I forgot for one time, <laughs> and I've already taken care of it, so it's not even really a problem anymore. Ah, Yeah. It's just we're putting just really two shots on all the TPS reports before <laughs> they go out now. So if you could go ahead and try to remember to do that from now on, that'd be great. All right. Got the pat on the shoulder, and the guy walks off. <laughs> oh, and the scene usually ends. It does end with the phone it's rings. We're out. And somebody, um, I guess the third boss reminds him of the memo as well, and then we're out. That's sort of the tack to this whole joke. Yeah, it pulls it together. And yeah. then, of course, comedy's excess, so it's a great example of, like, just that one thing that's annoying at work. Just keep going on it and keep going on it, and there's so much going on in it thematically that I think is what makes people connect to it and make it so resonant, resonant for such a long time as a cult hit is... As years went on, it's like, yeah, that's what, that's what it's like, no matter what your job is. <laughs> that's just what bureaucracy's like, and the Peter principle of leadership, of people just being incompetent in the leadership positions. Yeah. It just hits on this feeling that a lot of people feel like it's just a grind, right? You're having a job, and you mm-hmm. should be happy because you're making, you can pay rent, and you, you're you like, you're doing what you're supposed to do, right? That's That's the path you're supposed to take, but then you end up being trapped in a cubicle. And every day, you know what the day will be like tomorrow. You know what the day will be like next week. And it just wears you down. And all these conversations happen over and over again. And they just wear you down. And I just love this whole feeling that this movie, it's its like it makes you just enjoy the fact that you're not alone in this. Like that pain, everybody feels that pain. And... That's that's so awesome about the entire movie, I think. Yeah, and then it's great comic because all this stuff is just building onto stuff that'll happen later. So they're great scenes in and of themselves, but then serve things that are going on later. And obviously, with reactions and timing, editors bring a lot to a scene like this. But if you want a specific place where the editor really just enhanced this this scene, I'm willing to bet if we go to 132 here, okay. I'm gonna crank it up. So we hear Stephen Root saying at a reasonable volume from 9 to 11. uh, And it's word for word the same as the lines that were said earlier. Yeah. So it makes me think that those were... And of course, it's funnier because he's just repeating the thing and he's still on it, which he'd done a little bit in the scene. It makes me think that the the editor just found a smart way or someone using the the craft of editing just took those lines and repeated 
just threw them back in as he was turning back to his computer. And it could be a lot of reasons. Maybe it just felt like a dead spot of him sitting back down. There wasn't a cutaway or anything. We wanted to show it yet. <laughs> it just makes it much more funny to have him keep, keep going on it as Livingston's returning to his seat. Yeah, definitely some rewriting going on in the editing, which is a big part telling the story in a better way, just because organically it feels, feels better to cut it that way. Um, mm -hmm. something else I want to point out is, I mean, it's so simple and I think it's the best way to do a scene like this is once they're in these confrontations or these dialogues moments where they just go through the motion of again, explaining why that memo is so important and what he needs to do to make sure that that cover sheet is on there. Um, mm -hmm. that w it's not like fancy coverage. There's not four different setups to cover the scene it's basically a medium shot and then a reverse of that same angle um, or same composition and then maybe mm -hmm. every once in a while to just let it open up let it breathe or show the business of the actor business of the actor means like let's say right. he grabs the piece of paper from the from the stack then you need to show the arm so that's a mo moment where you would cut to the white shot mm -hmm. but keeping it pretty pretty mildly tense by cutting back and forth from medium it's not close-ups we're not really over emphasizing the comedy here or the drama we're just letting the actors do what they do best and let let the reactions guide us on how we're supposed to feel like when do we cut to a reaction shot to ron i forgot what his character name is but uh, Livingston, right. um the actor and when do we cut back to the guy that is just sort of monotonously repeating um, what he's supposed to do? And the fact that, like, he has three bosses who d don't really have a job um, is amazing that they all tell him the same thing because there's nothing else they can tell him. Of course. So the thing that I would say that's cool to kind of notice with the editing is, you know, it's very simply put together and the shots are very simple. And yet you have to remember that there are options given for all this. So a couple cool things to notice are, of course, it just makes sense on in Gary Cole's medium shot that you're going to be wanting to have the business of his hand on the coffee divider cup. and the coffee cup yeah. in in his other hand because he does a lot with that yet we're a lot tighter on ron livingston True. more than you really necessarily need to be in a comedy scene typically i feel like these are going to be a little wider like you would use the wider medium than the medium close-up which they're using this is more perhaps would be used in like an intimate moment <laughs> let's say but the thing with it is you really get to see the pain that he's experiencing and it's a little more oppressive on this character to just punch in on him and have him tighter, kind of trapped. And you really get to see by being tighter on this character than you are on Gary Cole, yes. the pain that he's experiencing and thoughts he's having. Because everything he's saying is perfectly pleasant and nice and he's not even really playing it up to go for the you're ridiculous stuff, mm -hmm. but it's just there so well. So it's a great way to use that performance and add to it. And then the other thing that's great is... When Gary Cole leaves, and again, you're talking about the business, but it also going back to, you know, the master in this shot, let's say at, at 45, we get to see the business of the letter. We also get to see actors moving, Gary Cole leaving. But the other thing that it lets us do at 45 on that wider shot is when we come back in at 53, boom, we're suddenly now 
seeing the scene from a slightly different angle, which in a subtle subconscious way, and again, this angle probably existed through that entire take. You could very easily cut it with this angle on his entire performance, and it would be really good. There's just something being a little tighter added to that scene. The other thing that's great by holding off on this is it it sets the mood subconsciously for the audience that, look, this is a new scene. We're now moving into a yep. new bit by just kind of, instead of trying to use every angle under the sun, by holding off to do this, it lets us move into this next bit quite nicely. And it's almost opening the scene up to Steven Root's character over behind him and letting us not really lose sense of the screen direction in terms of where people are in the office and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Before, um, before you make your next point, let me mm-hmm. add to that the first one where you said i think that's a brilliant observation that you just made let me just point that out i did not notice that but you're absolutely right you're tighter on ron than you are on what's his name gary cole um yeah and you're also in a high angle slight high angle on him Mm -hmm. so he feels even a little bit more depressed or like intimidated frustrated whatever all those negative feelings and Gary Cole is like a slightly low angle. So he feels more in charge. <laughs> and the performance is just so over the top yet so understated at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense. But he's yeah. basically a character but feels real at the same time. So, yeah. So I think yeah. that's that's nice to point out. And the thing and with the other thing. Yeah, go ahead. Oh. I was going to say, when the other jackass shows up, boss, you notice we're a little bit tighter on that guy just because the nature of his figure is a little more imposing. And now it's kind of also heightened the tensity of this recurring reaction, interaction, by being even tighter on the next guy. It's like, uh, just give us a a break. And and the last thing I was going to say is with the beginning, is the screen direction is totally different in his medium close-up at the beginning. Uh Uh-huh because he's facing one direction. So that's a weird way to start a scene. I don't know what exactly precedes it, but it works really well. And it's always fine to do that when you use a master to redirect it, which is what they do immediately as Gary Cole comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's meant to be a disruption. Like, yeah, for sure. He's looking from right to left in the very first shot. And this is still like, he just arrived late into the office and he's trying to like get into the routine. Like it's, be unnoticed that nobody caught that he got late and then he immediately gets basically caught by his boss who calls him out right away on the mistake he made so i would say that that totally motivates a cut like that um (laughs) right and i love the master shot of the steven root interaction and how again we just use the same shot for him the whole time the medium just because he's so consistent anyways. I mean, we use the shot for both of them, but there's something about the consistency with this character where it's like, you don't even want to change the angle up. And this requires some filmmaking where you have some balls. Like an inexperienced first-time editor might not be Mm -hmm. able to cut this scene as simple, as simply as this. Right. They might want to like try and add something to it and right. confuse the audience at the same time. Yeah, and it's a good example of how something that just looks so easy and obvious to put together, how there is a lot of thought that goes into it, and you really are just 
always trying to keep that comedy ball alive. Yeah. Like deciding to take our time with him going to sit down and we use ADR for that. That's a deliberate choice. The way that we use the timing for him standing up and turning around. Because there are a lot of laughs in this scene. You're kind of having to be aware of how you're toying with the audience. Like we don't see him stand up and turn to Steven Root. Yeah. Right? We see him kind of looking at the computer and then boom, we go to Root and at 101, Livingston just pops into the frame in a medium. We don't see the master that again until after he's kind of presented himself in the moment. We don't orient the audience till then. So, you know, all that stuff could obviously be done very differently, but it's a good way to kind of show how, you know, we aren't showing him going into position for one interaction and yet we're seeing him return to his position at 133. And all these things are just choices. The time that you're going to spend on both the bosses walking into the frame, how you're going to present them. Is it funny if they're just boom there like this guy at 137 or do we want to see them wind in? Like there's just a lot of choices that are fun to toy with. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting choices also in the composition i feel like and i know it's we're talking about editing but let's point it out anyway um so for example if you go to 47 and then freeze it at 50 the way he holds the memo is he's cheating it towards camera and this is so like once you look at it it's so obvious a screen it's a direction either by the dp or the cam uh, the director that the mm-hmm. memo needs to obviously be really prominent in the shot, but it doesn't feel like fake at all. The way right. he's holding the memo and all this stuff. I think that's a real nice composition. When you look at the first time we see Milton, the way the shot is composed, like there's just stuff everywhere. <laughs> he's like, he's just boxed in. And that's the theme of this character anyway. He gets boxed in more and more. He gets moved around <laughs> and and more stuff is just around him. He can barely move right. in his cubicle. And then you look at the wider shot at 103. It is just like file folders everywhere. And <laughs> the, the radio is in the shot. I mean, how brilliant. The radio is in the shot. The scene is about the radio. Yes, it sounds like it's obvious, but... Mm-hmm. It takes it takes some filmmaking craft to design a shot like this, where we're talking about it and everything that we're talking about is in the shot. It's brilliant. Yeah, and just know that, or in the production design, know that that radio is going to be in every shot. If yeah. there's a tighter shot of him, it's in there. It's, it's everywhere. <clears throat> and it's yeah. funny, too, to kind of see all the stuff in the tight shot, and then when you pull out, it's a good way to introduce him. Like you're saying, to the, to start tight and then go wider, Kind of shows like, oh, no, it's even crazier how much stuff this guy has. <laughs> yeah. And even though thinking? the sort of the pos- the blocking, the positioning of these two actors, very similar to uh, the first boss, but the reverse. So Ron is now with a low angle standing up, looking down on Milton. Emotionally, it still doesn't feel like Ron is anywhere in control in his life. Like, right. Which makes it more funny because now he's in, in the position of power and can't win. Yeah. <laughs> and look at his cubicle at 136 it's like perfectly organized like every minute that he had just dying to get out of this office he spent organizing his stuff in there yeah, or he's just so indifferent to it he's never touched anything <laughs> all that probably so the in the last thing i'd add is that in terms of the control an editor has is 
the way Steven Root's looks are used and like where his eyes are from one cut to the next, like how funny his look is and the one little master shot we get of him. Like, it's all great. Like the timing of that, him turning, like, cause there's, it's so funny every time, but it's like, you want to, you want to aim those shots where it counts. It's, it's oh. really important. Obviously, when do you cut from one actor to the next? When do you mm -hmm. cut to a blink? Like I noticed a, like a mini reaction sh of Ron somewhere where like boss said something and he just has a little blink there. I can't, I don't know what the time code is, but maybe play back and watch for that. When, when do we cut to him reacting to it? It's like these little subtleties. They just feel nice and right. All right. Awesome. Okay. So yeah. now that you've seen this podcast, you really love us. Go check out the go to editor.com and check out that video 22 minutes on what gets you hired as a film editor or video editor that's the title of the video i remembered yeah. nice cool and i can't wait to figure that out um also thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast thank you for telling your friends about it we really appreciate the growing listens we like getting to look at movies from the past we maybe learned our lesson about trying to be too trendy with our avengers aimed episode and game of thrones aimed episode so lesson learned if there's stuff you want to hear on the podcast please let us know let us know what scenes you would like to see dissected we really appreciate the feedback we get all the places that you can get it where can comments be made sven thisguyedits.com slash the go-to editor. Just kidding. thisguyedits.com slash comment. Awesome. And we would also like to thank Curta for the music. And as Sven always says, happy editing. Cool. Yeah, I think there's only like two little spots I'm going to have to edit on this one. Yeah, where I had to reset. Right. Uh, okay, three. <laughs>